0: Welcome to the Ubuntu Nutrition Podcast, with your host, Patrick McCarthy, Pa, who is still introducing himself. This is part one of a two-part series where we'll look at why restrictive diets ultimately fail us and are not sustainable approaches to achieving a healthy weight. So sit back, relax, and listen up. Welcome, everyone, to the first official content podcast. So, first of all, I was taken back with the reception of support that I received in response to the introductory podcast last week. So, I just want to express my sincerest gratitude to everyone who did reach out. Now, I do apologize. It's the morning after the bank holiday weekend. Not that I was out drinking excessively or anything like that, but. That might be why my voice is a little bit raspy, because it sounds like it is to me. So one of the bits of feedback I did receive from multiple people actually was that I might be speaking a small bit too slow. And interestingly, that was actually very purposeful on my account. I actually have been trying to do that, and it's for two reasons. One... I'm trying to reduce the amount of ums and uh that I use because I just think when you're doing a podcast and you're trying to depict or convey a clear message those words or stuttering can actually take away from the interpretation by the audience or the listener and so that's just something I'm trying to do so instead of using those words I might just pause Or I might draw out the last word in a sentence. And hopefully I'll get better at it. The second reason is because some of the concepts I'll discuss, especially one today that I'm going through, might be a small bit complex for some listeners. And by slowing everything down, I feel like I'm improving their ability to stay with it and actually keep up with everything I'm saying. Because for me, I, I'm not sure about the listeners now, but when, I listen to a lot of podcasts. And if I'm doing anything except for sitting on the couch or lying in bed, I can get lost and just kind of zone out because I might lose a couple of words here and there while I'm you know, washing the dishes or going for a walk. And then I just zone out completely. But I'm going to try my best to structure this and the way I speak to reduce the amount of times you naturally zone out. So we'll see. It's a bit of an experiment. And I'm definitely motivated by Blind Boy's podcast. So I'm not sure if you guys listen to that, but he is one of the most articulate podcast host, hosts that I've heard. And it is like meditation listening to him. So if you haven't listened to him yet, I strongly recommend heading over to his channel and just listening to his first podcast it is truly amazing anyway this isn't an ad okay so this week is a very interesting topic to discuss and it's why don't restrictive diets work now before we dive in i just want to clarify a very important aspect so today we'll specifically be looking at what happens when we adopt a very restrictive diet by cutting our energy intake or our calories significantly. And for the most part, we'll be discussing what happens in the short term. However, many of these changes also last months, if not years. And so what I discuss here today can actually be applied directly to the long term as well. So one of the big dogs in this area is Eric Drexler, and he's a very esteemed researcher who's done a significant amount of work in looking at weight regain and the changes that our bodies undergo when we lose weight. And so he has a fantastic 90-minute podcast about this where it might be a bit heavy for some of the you know beginner nutrition listeners. But I will link that up in the show notes which are available in the in the podcast description. And so there are there are actually a couple of podcasts that I'll link to, and I think that these are the best way for you guys to if you are interested in diving more into the content around this area, these will be fantastic resources rather than me directing you to scientific papers. okay so now just before we dive in for those experienced podcast listeners, I am going to speak nice and slowly. So if you are someone who can, you know, go about your daily activity and stay with the message or the content of the podcast, just feel free to speed it up to, you know, 1.5 or 1.6 speed, which is just a, it's a little option on Apple Podcasts and you can do it on Spotify. And that's actually, I listen to all my podcasts at that speed, except for Blind Boy, because I listen to him when I'm going to sleep. And I think the slow content or slow speech is... It's like a lullaby. It has a a sleep promoting effect for me. But anyway, okay, so back to the short-term versus long-term. So there are two different concepts. Today I'm going to as I mentioned explore these changes that can actually be applied to both the short term and long term because the fact is that some of the physiological changes we'll explore today have been shown to start occurring just 24 hours after adopting a low energy diet but also have been shown to last and persist for several years later. And so when I refer to short term as I mentioned I'm just talking about the days and weeks after implementing a reduced energy diet And then the long term is looking at more so the changes that occur months and years later after we have lost a significant amount of weight. So the short term I'm referring to just chopping energy and it's not necessarily weight related. And then in the long term, I'm talking about the changes that occur when we lose weight. Okay. Now, I'll try to cover the topic today between, in between 20 and 25 minutes, and I'll structure it as follows. So, is the problem really a problem, or is just spouting bullshit, clickbait? The physiological changes that occur, the psychological changes that occur, and I've prepared several strategies that can help to potentially counteract the unfortunate metabolic changes that I wanted to, to describe today. However, I do feel I'm going to hit the 20 to 25 minute mark before even touching on these. So if that happens, I'll present them in a part two, which I'll aim to upload by the end of the week rather than waiting all the way until the next Wednesday, because I've already recorded my guest, my first guest podcast that I'm going to upload next Wednesday. Okay, so let's dive right in. So for all the college students out there that are listening and future college students, one of the aspects of writing research reports and articles that you'll remember is the first thing you have to do is write the introduction. And at the end of the introduction, uh, the first thing that your lecturer always asks to include is a rationale for the project. So why are you doing it? And this is very important because Why conduct a study that's not needed? Why write a report on something that's not needed, that's already known? And so I'm gonna start all my content podcasts with this brief summation of the rationale and the need for presenting the content that I am. So with specific respect to today's topic, I ask you, is it a problem? And do these restrictive diets really not work? So the first statistic I'll present is a really shocking one that was reported in a meta-analysis of 29 studies. And a meta-analysis is simply an objective review of multiple studies. And so it's not biased in just relying on the findings of one small study conducted in one country on one population. It's summarizing the totality of available studies. And so in this study of 29 individual trials, among overweight participants who lost significant or between 5 to 10% of body weight, among these, 50% of the weight loss was regained within the initial 12 months. And by five years down the line, 80% of the weight was regained. Now, it has also been shown in other studies that up to one third, sorry, between one third and two thirds of weight loss individuals will overshoot their initial weight. And that's typically among overweight patients or individuals. Now, I listened to another fantastic podcast which had guests Lane Norton and it had another very esteemed researcher, I'm blanking on the name right now, but I'm actually going to link the podcast for you guys. And basically, Lane Norton is a very famous researcher and he has his own website, BioLane, where he produces very informative videos just about, he communicates the science of nutrition and fitness very, very effectively for the lay population. So I suppose in one way, he's kind of a role model for myself and what I hope to achieve with this channel but he concluded this podcast with saying for many people dieting leaves them worse off than when they began and that is a huge I think that's a revelational point I kind of paused the podcast and I, I was just driving and I was sitting there thinking wow that's insane that dieting leaves many people worse off than when they began. So just as a little personal anecdote here I was studying as I mentioned in Denmark last year and we had this lecture with a very very well-known obesity researcher in and he's Danish I won't mention any names or anything like that but he gave us this huge lecture about the difficulties and the metabolic adaptations some of which I'll cover today that occur in response to weight loss initiatives especially among overweight people and he kept telling us about what doesn't work and why this doesn't work and I actually raised my hand at the end of the lecture and I said so you've told us what doesn't work and why it doesn't work what do you recommend and he sat there silently kind of giggled and just said don't put on this excess weight in the first place and I was like, "Whoa!" And I remember a few of my classmates and friends were sitting around me, and we were just stunned by that so Now that's not meant to be a you know an intimidating caveat for people that are overweight because the fact is the majority of the research that has shown that weight regain occurs in most people. They're not using these, they're not implementing these kind of newer, more updated strategies, some of which I'll present today. Okay, so they're they're basing that off old traditional weight loss strategies, you know, very restrictive diets, excessive, intense exercise. And so today I'll just hope to present more sustainable approaches. Okay. All right, so... Finally, a very famous study that really shed light on the problem with weight regain is the Biggest Loser study in the first show that aired in 2009, I believe. This is a very, very famous study and I'll link the study along with a synopsis written by Harvard Health in the show notes. And so basically what they did, and if you don't know The Biggest Loser, it's a TV show where, it's a reality TV show where very overweight actually, sorry, morbidly obese individuals subscribe to a intensive dietary and physical activity regime where it's 1,200 calories for several weeks plus 90 minutes of fairly intense exercise each day. And they do lose in excess of 100 pounds throughout the program. However, this first cohort in 2009 found that six years later, 70% of the weight was regained among this initial group of 16 participants. So while they did lose 30%, 70% was regained. So, you know, if the average weight loss was 100 pounds, that's 70 pounds regained, which would put them back in the morbidly obese category. But the very interesting finding. And the things I'm going to discuss here today is the metabolic adaptation and the markers of this metabolic adaptation lasted six years. So six years down the line, the metabolic effects of dieting were still there, which is very important. And so that's the rationale for the topic and the content I'll explore today. Okay, so... I'm going to break it, as I mentioned, into physiological changes and psychological changes. So what happens in our body physiologically when we adopt a very calorically restricted diet? So a pound of fat is approximately 3,500 calories if you're looking at it energetically in a lab. So if we worked like machines, if we are to cut 500 calories for the next seven days, we should lose exactly one pound of fat, right? However we know that this doesn't actually transpire and if we were to adopt a 500 calorie deficit we wouldn't have lost a pound of body fat in a week because we don't work like machines and this is the first physiological change that happens when we cut our energy intake down. So our muscles are constantly turning over and Turnover just means it's a balance between breakdown and building up. And so as our muscles break down, the building blocks of our muscle called amino acids, they are actually used to produce energy for our body. And so when we adopt an energy deficit or a caloric deficit to lose weight, some of this deficit is contributed to by amino acids or a.k.a. muscle. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, eh, I'm grand with losing a bit of muscle if it means I can get rid of the beer belly too. However, the loss of muscle is extremely important here because this tissue is what's known as metabolically active and it's actually responsible for around 60-70% to 70% of your resting metabolic rate. And your resting metabolic rate is the energy you burn just staying alive throughout the day, okay? And so when I say energy, you can always think of that as calories. And so if my resting metabolic rate is reducing because my muscle is breaking down, that's gonna lower the amount of calories I burn on a daily basis, which is going to slow weight loss, okay? So one tip I'm gonna give later is increasing or adopting strength training and so you know a lot of weight loss individuals who kind of subscribe to coaching programs might say why are you giving me strength training i'm trying to lose weight not get bulky or muscly and what i would respond to that is it would take a very concentrated effort to get bulky you'd have to go to the gym every single day you'd have to you'd have to increase your food intake substantially so do not worry about that but one of the reasons it's one of the first steps in a weight loss program is because it increases your energy expenditure which will ultimately contribute to your weight loss deficit or your energy deficit okay so the next mechanism which this muscle loss can contribute to is a reduction in your energy levels and your energy expenditure And as I mentioned, that means less calories burned throughout the day. Now, this change, interestingly, has been shown to occur just 24 hours after you've implemented a restrictive diet. And it's also the most well-documented change. So some of the hormonal adaptations I'll explore, while they have been researched and shown to occur, there's less of a will say complete agreement across the literature so some studies have found you know lower impacts of these changes and then other studies have shown higher but this energy reduction has been shown across the board and there's a very well agreed upon consensus so our bodies Are truly amazing and as a survival mechanism when we deprive our bodies of energy it'll slow down and reduce our energy levels so you literally cannot exercise to the same intensity and you'll find that when you are adopting you know a very restrictive diet or just even a moderate caloric deficit you will find your energy levels dip you know and you might respond to me and say well pa When I'm on a diet, I'll make sure I exercise every fucking day, no matter how tired I feel. I'll grind. And that's a very good point. So good stuff. But the research has shown that even if you do get out for your 60 minutes every single day while you're on this diet, your body will become more efficient and it'll try to preserve as much energy as possible when you're exercising, thereby expending less energy. Okay. Now, so that's, During your exercise, your purposeful exercise, you know, running, lifting weights, any sports that you play, but that's not the most important factor here. The most important factor that has been consistently shown in the research is a thing called NEAT. And I want everyone to stay with me, so I'm just going to mention the full word once. NEAT is an acronym for Non-Exercise Activity Thermogenesis, N-E-A-T, and it basically consists... Of all your movement throughout the day that's not purposeful physical activity, okay, so walking to and from the bin outside your posture fidgeting while you're sitting working any walks you do during the day that aren't you know moderate intensity exercise, so basically every bit of activity that's not exercise is this concept called neat, and this is actually consistently shown to be the most important predictor of body weight in population-based studies. Okay, so I'll do another podcast on that down the line, hopefully. But this is the activity that suffers the most because it's, it's basically the intensity of it is unconsciously regulated. So, you know, it, even if you feel completely shit while you're on a diet, you can make sure You go 100% in your jog or your run, you know, or to what you perceive as 100%, even though, as I mentioned, your body's becoming more efficient. In another podcast I listened to with a very esteemed researcher, Lyle McDonald, he gave a very, very good example of this neat. If you were walking and you forgot to check the mail and you walked past your mailbox, if you're on this energy deficit your body could unconsciously tell your brain, ah, you can get it on the way back. Whereas if you were eating to your maintenance or over that point, you'd have enough energy where you'd have no problem turning around. So this is, this need is unconsciously regulated for the most part. You know, fidgeting, bouncing your, your legs up and down, your posture, you could be slouched, thereby reducing the energy you're burning. So this NEAT is the most important aspect of physical activity. And this is all downregulated most of which by the hormones, which I'll get into soon. Okay, so finally, before moving on to these hormonal changes, you might ask, if I'm overweight or obese, or even if I have a small bit of excess weight, and I'm not typically or technically overweight, shouldn't my body want me to get rid of this excess energy? Because I did mention it's a, this down regulation of expenditure is a survival mechanism by our bodies. And this is where the point or the concept of a set point comes in, okay? Which I'm not going to dive into extensively here because that's a whole podcast. It's outside the scope of today's session. But the chances are if you are currently overweight or obese for, you know, an extended period of time, a year or several years, the chances are you've been at the same approximate weight. You know you might fluctuate in between slightly but you've been at the same weight for a good amount of this time right and that is because your body has shifted your set point and so it's moved its baseline and so all the reactions hormonally physiologically are actually in response to your change from this new set point okay So when you do institute this caloric deficit, even if you are in, we'll say, a very overweight class, your body is still reacting the same way as someone at a lower weight doing the same thing. And, you know, it might not be to the same intensity, but mechanistically, it can be quite similar. All right. Okay. So hopefully I've kept that nice and basic. But now we'll go into some hormonal changes and this is going to be brief. So please try and stay with me. I'll really slow down and simplify it. So the hormonal changes that occur when we restrict energy and lose body weight, as I mentioned, have been documented, but there is less of a, we'll say, field-wide consensus because there have been been some conflicting reports published but for the most part it is agreed upon that some level of this of these changes in some of these hormones will occur okay so the first hormone that can decrease when we diet is thyroid hormone and our thyroid hormone is the main driver of our metabolism so you might have heard of people that have that suffer from hypothyroid or hyperthyroidism (laughs) and Hypo is when they have an underactive thyroid. And so it's usually consistent with weight gain. And if you apply this to this concept, if thyroid hormone is being underproduced, that can contribute to the slowed weight loss or even weight gain. Okay, and thyroid hormone has been shown to be downregulated when we adopt an energy deficit. Because as I said, it's trying to downregulate everything in your body to preserve energy because our body essentially thinks we're going into starvation mode and it's why our bodies are so fascinating but it can be a real fucker when we're trying to lose weight okay next testosterone and estrogen have also been shown to decrease especially if you're following a very low fat diet because fat is actually very important for the production of these hormones and what do we know about these hormones well first off Let's just say that when you feel that dip in sex drive or libido, that can be a result of dipped testosterone or estrogen in women or men and women respectively. Okay. And there is a whole caveat of changes specific to females and the menstrual cycle that should be explored, but I'm actually not going to touch on that. I'm going to outsource and have a guest on in the future that has done work in this area so that they can articulate it to a much more evidence-based degree than I can, okay? So testosterone and estrogen both down-regulate. That's, that might be why when you're on a diet, and I've experienced this before, your sex drive, you know, it does decrease and you just feel fatigued, tired and... All you want to do is crawl into bed, you know, by the time six or seven comes. So it's, it's, it's a very important change that occurs. Okay, hunger hormones are very important because they stimulate our drive to consume food. And as I mentioned, this is a survival mechanism by our bodies to ensure that we're consuming enough energy to fuel our daily activity. Okay. And so the first up is ghrelin, which is one of the main regulators of our appetite. So the way I remember this is ghrelin. It sounds like growl. My stomach's growling. And this is actually released from the cells in our intestine or our gastrointestinal tract. And it travels up to our hypothalamus, which is simply an organ in the brain and tells our brain that we need food. Okay. And this has been shown to be increased or heightened when we adopt a energy restricted diet so this is this can occur very very early in the diet process it doesn't require weight loss to start being elevated okay so another hormone that is very important here is called stay with me now colocystokinin or cck for short and this actually does the opposite of ghrelin and actually tells our bodies that we're full The interesting thing about this hormone is that it responds to the physical sensation of food pushing on the stomach and the intestinal walls. And so that's one reason why eating voluminous foods when you're following a caloric deficit diet can actually stimulate the release of this hormone. But when we are following, you know, restrictive diets, it has been shown to decrease. Okay, so I'll dive into a way of increasing the release of this hormone through the foods that we eat in the strategies later on or in part two because I'm definitely approaching the 20 to 25 minute mark if not gone past it okay so you're probably bait from listening to me going about hormones but I haven't yet mentioned the most important one so if you are someone that has some idea of nutrition and weight loss in physiology in general, I'll give you a second to just shout it out in the car and feel like an absolute genius. Leptin. That's right. So this is a hormone that's released from our fat cells directly. Okay, so it's actually known as a adipokine. Because our fat cells are also known as adipose cells or adipocytes. Okay, so this hormone is actually released from our fat cells. And it acts, again, on that part of the brain called the hypothalamus. And the hypothalamus is the crucial regulator of the metabolism that we discussed earlier. So this hormone is the really fucking cool one because it really worked to keep our ancestors alive. It's the, it's the survival one. So when we adopt a restricted diet, when we, when we start reducing the food or the energy from that food, but also when we actually lose weight, So when our fat cells shrink to release the fatty acids to be used as energy, leptin is downregulated and leptin is crucial because it travels up to the hypothalamus and it tells our body, yeah, keep going, keep working hard, increase energy expenditure. You know, you can go for that run. You can sprint away from that predator and it's working all the time to keep energy balance equation even. So when our body senses this reduction in the fat cells. So if you have adopted a very energy-restricted diet and you've lost, you know, five or six pounds, you're feeling great, leptin will be down-regulated, okay? So reduced amounts will be released from these fat cells and then your hypothalamus isn't receiving as much and it down-regulates your energy expenditure. But very interesting, leptin also stimulates, you know, satiety. So reduced levels will actually increase your hunger alongside ghrelin and alongside the reduced cholecystokinin, the CCK. So this researcher that I mentioned in a previous podcast that they did, Lane, he said, there's a beautiful symphony of hormonal changes that occur to try and prevent you from losing weight, which I thought was very well put. Okay, so there are the three important hormones. And there's other hormones that are downregulated and upregulated, but I, I don't really want to dive into them just yet. Okay, so that's the summary of the physiological changes. And just real quick, I'll dive into some psychological changes. Obviously, when we diet, stress levels can increase, especially among those who can't notice or who haven't noticed visibly significant weight loss. Stress levels can increase, right? And what we know about stress is there is acute versus chronic. Acute is the stress that occurs in relation to a fright or something happening immediately, and your you know, your fight or flight stress response. And this stress response is actually related to suppressed hunger. So when you get really, really scared or frightened. You're not going to be hungry in that point, in that in that moment, okay? Because that's a survival mechanism of our bodies. It freezes everything and just prioritizes getting the fuck out of that situation. Your fight or flight response. Now, the other type of stress, low-grade chronic stress, so long-term stress. You know things like worrying about this looming exam, okay? Worrying about a health problem, um, just things that or worrying about the fact that you haven't lost weight even though you're fucking depriving yourself for the last few weeks. This is actually related to an increased, what we call hedonic drive, towards salty and highly palatable, fatty, sugary foods. So if you are someone that that gets very stressed when they can't see weight loss, it could be because this chronic stress is actually Leading you to, you know, to have these little diet breaks where you're you're consuming a lot of energy in these small little periods that you're not really accounting for and you're under the illusion that you're actually still on this energy deficit diet, you know. But the other very important point here is cortisol is upregulated, which we know is our stress hormone, and you would have heard of cortisol before, but cortisol is increased when we're chronically stressed and this hormone actually has the opposite effect of leptin so we know leptin is good we also know leptin is decreased when we're following these diets so if leptin is decreased and cortisol is increased you're actually getting twice the detrimental impact that leptin that the downregulated leptin was having okay so this is like increased hunger as i said your hedonic drive which is ultimately going to influence your ability to adhere to that diet. But the very important one here is cortisol is instrumental in retaining water and it can lead to a substantial retention of water. So in this podcast with Lyle McDonald, which I'll link to, he said that this can last from 12 to 14 weeks. So while you might be reducing your fat mass, you might be be reducing body fat. You could be retaining water to increasing levels because you're getting more and more stress with each day you wake up and can't see the visual changes in the mirror so this is a very important point and in this podcast he had a really 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 great point where he said and i've experienced this before and maybe a lot of listeners have hopefully but maybe you haven't you come home from holidays you adapt a diet for a couple of weeks you're eating nothing but salads you definitely you successfully implementing a caloric deficit okay You're not under any illusions, you actually are. But the weight isn't going off. You can't see it. If anything, you look bigger in the mornings you wake up. You have one weekend where you forgot about the diet and you went out with friends, you had a really nice time and, you know, the next day you had a few snacks or, you know, some pizza as the hangover food and then Monday you come back and you're like, oh fuck, I'm after losing weight. Maybe I should just fucking go back eating the way I did. And what I'll say to this is, it's neither, okay? So it's not that you should go back eating an unhealthy, poorly structured diet and drinking a lot and eating a lot of hangover foods, right? But it's also not that you should completely restrict. It's chill the fuck out. Trust the process. You're following this diet. Chill out. Prioritize social interactions. Make sure you're still going to these parties or still hanging out with friends and try your best to reduce your chronic stress levels and then that will allow the water to be released and flushed out and you'll actually visibly be able to notice the change and and oh my god it's 40 minutes wow okay well i'm definitely obviously going to use part two for the strategies but before concluding this part one i just want to reach out to people that are struggling right now especially on the back of this epidemic which many may argue we're not yet on the back of even but you might have gained weight you might feel really really self-conscious about you know getting back into society and being amongst friends again with some excess weight that you're embarrassed about you know it's the summer now going to the beach and things like that taking your top off being in swimsuits i'm trying to make this plea to you don't let that push you into adopting overly restrictive diets so in part two i'm going to give a an abundance of strategies to try and offset these negative metabolic changes but right now just to finish this in case you don't get to that second part plan for weight loss in a year implement the slightest energy deficit that researcher lay norton said try and diet on as many calories as possible and i'm going to give some strategies for that too But I just, try and give yourself the affirmation, hopefully after listening to this, that if I restrict my diet too much, I'll probably end up worse off than where I am right now. Okay? And so I'll just leave you with that. If you have any questions at all, and if I didn't articulate any of these properly, any of these points, please feel free to reach out to me. You can reach me at ubuntunutrition at gmail.com, on my Instagram And my website is very close to being published. So there's an abundance of methods you can get in contact with me. And I just enjoy interacting with people and hearing different scenarios and trying to give advice based on that. So I have no problem helping. So with that, I just want to say thank you so much to everyone who listened. And please stay tuned for part two because that's a very important installment in this series. If you enjoy this or if you believe it can help people or friends or family, please share it, please subscribe and please give a review and rating because it really helps me in the initial stages of this podcast. I did say I'll give a shout out to my friends because we were talking about this last night. We were having a few beers and chatting and they were really taken back by some of the hormonal changes that we discussed that they had no idea of. So I really urge listeners to pass this on if you found some benefit or if you do know someone who could use this. Okay, so shout out to the girls and thank you so much for listening. Have a fantastic Wednesday. Thank you so much for listening to the Ubuntu Nutrition Podcast. As I mentioned, this was part one of a two-part series the second of which will be published this coming Monday. In this podcast, I will cover some effective and evidence-based strategies for offsetting this metabolic adaptation and maximizing your potential for sustainable weight loss and achieving a healthy weight. All the show notes of today's podcast are available by clicking the link in the podcast description. Thank you so much and have a fantastic day.